Father in heaven, it is truly good to be home. It's a blessing to be in your house in this day. Father, we're thankful for the warmth of fellowship that we could experience as we came into the doors this morning. And, and now, Lord, look forward to your blessings as we would gather around thy word and, and seek instruction from it. Father, we're, we're thankful for the blessing of having visitors in our midst. We're, we're thankful for the safe travels that we experienced coming back from camp last uh, yesterday afternoon and pray that even as others would continue to travel in this day, Lord, that thy travel mercies would be upon them. Father, be with the many who can't be with us today. Be with those who are on sick beds and for other various reasons aren't able to, to fellowship and to minister with their families of faith in this day and pray that you'd impart a blessing to them as well. And now, Lord, as we would look into your word, we will expect thy presence with us and thy blessings and thank thee for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. It really is good to be home. Um, that said, it was an it was a, a wonderful week at camp, and uh, you know I, I this was my first year of going to camp in in my new with my new job or my new position, and I got to say it was I've never had such a peaceful week at camp, and I, it has me a little nervous to go to work tomorrow, but that's tomorrow, so we're thankful that we can spend one more day uh, focused on on the word and I as I was driving home yesterday I was thinking about uh, the message this morning and wondering you know I can't really do a, a summary of five days or six le- five lessons six days at camp um, and with many of you being able to watch the the evenings activities and the choirs and things like that I know that a lot of you had uh, that weren't able to be with us got to experience some of those uh, portions of camp as well. And so I was really led to, um, to a scripture that we looked at very quickly in our, in our class on Friday after, in Friday morning. And the scripture's in 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel 30. Um, just as a, a bit of an overview, for those of you who weren't aware, our, our theme for camp this year was uh, commit thy way unto the Lord. And it comes from the passage in Psalm 37, uh, Psalm 37, verse 5, is commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And the way that the lessons broke down for us, um, and admittedly this was how my class broke them down, I don't know that everybody else did it the same way, but was taking uh, focuses on other verses in that particular psalm. Um, we talk about trust. Verse 3 is trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily shalt thou be fed. I think for us, Tuesday's lesson was delight. Uh, maybe it wasn't Tuesday, it doesn't really matter. But delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Um, verse 7 is rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in the way. And, and so we, we had our lesson throughout the week broken down to focus on those those individual aspects and and what does it take for us to commit our way to the Lord um, but brother Mickey Kuzmanovich had our class on Friday and and took us through the life of of David in many ways and and looking at how David committed his way to the Lord you know a man that was after a man after God's own heart, but one who did not have the Spirit. He couldn't have the Holy Spirit's indwelling in his life, and yet at so many 
times and points in his life, he, he actively took a, an action to commit his way to the Lord. And, and one of those examples that I, we, we looked at very quickly on Friday, and, and I think we'll now look at the longer chapter, uh, is chapter 30. This takes place before David is king. He's obviously been anointed at this point, but he is now just a, we'll call him a mighty man of valor. Um, he has his army with him, and they are warring at different times with the Philistines and, and effectively on behalf of Israel, but he's not yet king. So with that as the backdrop, we'll just start with verse 1 in chapter 30. And it says, And it came to pass, when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. And David and his men came to the city and behold, it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then, the peop- then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. Kind of changed my mind. I, at first I was going to read through the whole chapter first, but let's do this in, we'll do this in sections and, and bear with me as we kind of uh, elaborate on some of it. So with these first five verses, uh, first four verses, we have David who has been pursuing the Philistines um, in another area, basically pushed, pushed them back, pushed them uh, out of the area where his family and his um, his soldiers' families are. And while he did that, the Amalekites came in and kidnapped everybody. Everyone. Great and small. Old and young. All of them. Kidnapped all of them. It says that they didn't hurt any of them. It says that they took them intact, or however it it describes it. It says it didn't, didn't hurt any of them, but carried them away, and then set fire to all of their town, to all of their possessions, to all of their, um, their homes. And I just imagine David as this, you know, here's this warrior with all of his armies coming back to, to find his family. And as he's approaching the horizon, can just see everything on fire. I, this kind of hit me yesterday as we were driving home. And there's one spot that I love coming, like, I don't know about you, but driving to Syracuse on, on the thruway is boring. As you approach it, like there's nothing, there's nothing of consequence that you see as you approach on the thruway. But when you come from 81 South and you're coming north, and just after you pass or just past the Lafayette exit, the road bends and you can see the city way off in the distance. It's before you get to Nedro, but you can see off in the distance. And I know I'm a little bit of a heart, I'm a romantic about Syracuse. So those of you that don't enjoy it as much as I do, it looks beautiful as you approach. You can see the dome is kind of in the corner. You see the edge of it kind of peeking out. But you've got Onondaga Lake. You've got this. Imagine yesterday coming home from camp or for Andrew and Emily. They do this every time they come up this way. You're pulling around that corner and you see the whole place on fire. The whole city's on fire. There's smoke coming up. Immediately, you know something. You know it's not good. You're wondering what's happening to your family. I'm a bit of an... A panic. I don't know what the right word is, but a pessimist. I sometimes I have this bad dream that I'm coming home, and for our house, I pull down Salisbury and I turn left, and I'm like, "What if I came home and the house was on fire? 
And what if I came home from camp and the whole place was gone? It was burned down. I'm sure Steve would have called me at some point to say that that had happened, but you have, just imagine how you would feel. Imagine the, the, the feeling in your, in your gut as you approach this. You're David and you see all these people with you and you know that your families are gone. Verse 5, And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. That seems like the, most, the biggest understatement in the world, that they were grieved because of their sons and daughters. That, a completely natural reaction. But to the point where the people were so upset that they were about to stone David. Now, not sure why this was David's fault. He was pursuing and, you know, just so happened that while he was gone, these, these folks came up and, and took his family captive. But it says, David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Elimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. So the, the ephod is, a, is an apron of, of sorts. It's an apron that you would wear, um, when, that the priests would wear when performing sacrifices to effectively keep the blood off of them as they're performing the sacrifice. And so we see David takes this ephod. He comes and he, he asks Abiathar, the, the priest, um, get it for me. Because I, I in, well, I guess in verse 8, and David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? He's in desperation. He's in desperation, but it says that he, in, he encouraged himself in the Lord and then went and inquired of the Lord if he should pursue after these folks. Does that strike anybody as strange? It strikes me, in reading through this, it strikes me as incredibly strange that in this traumatic situation, in this horrible situation where your family has been abducted, your, your home has been burned down, not just yours, but all of your, your followers, all of your soldiers, all of your, um, your people. And yet, rather than just reacting, David takes the time, he pushes pause, he goes to the high priest. It doesn't, he doesn't do a sacrifice himself. He doesn't step out of line and, and you know, um, perform some religious faux pas. But he goes and he inquires of the Lord if he should pursue after this people or this company, it says. I don't know that that would have been my reaction. I'm a little bit impulsive, but this, I mean, think of what... Whatever your specialty is, whatever your, your skill set is, imagine that you've encountered this situation where you need a reaction would, I'm not, that's not the right way to do this. Um, well, use the example. If I came home, my house is burned down. I'm a contractor. I very likely am not going to inquire as of the Lord as to whether or not I'm supposed to rebuild this house. It would be perfectly reasonable to go ahead and rebuild the house. You're a chef 
Everybody's hungry. We don't inquire of the Lord necessarily as to whether or not we're supposed to make dinner for the family. But David, in this situation, as a mighty man of valor, as a man of war, the reaction 100% justified would have been run out there and slaughter everybody you find. There would have been no reason not to. But David, and flip back in the chapters previous, and you can see, see why, because of decisions that he had made earlier that were poor, and where he did react improperly, he stops at the risk of being stoned by the people, having you know, a tumult all around him from folks wanting him to pursue, uh, to pursue these folks. And he stops and he inquires of the Lord saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, God answered him, Pursue. For thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So, David went, he and his 600 men that were with him, and he came to a brook, Basor, where those that were left stayed behind. And David pursued he and 400 men, for 200 abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Basor. Let's stop again. So, you inquire of the Lord. David inquires of the Lord. Should I pursue after these folks and will we win? Is this going to go okay? And first from God, one word answer, pursue. And then God adds to it, and you will recover all. You will win and recover all. What kind of encouragement would that be? I mean, you get that kind of affirmation from God that not only, because at this point, he doesn't know whether or not his family is alive or dead. He doesn't know what has happened to the people, the rest of the people. He just sees the burning uh, wreckage of this uh, atrocity, we'll call it. And yet, when he asks God what he's supposed to do, God says, go ahead and pursue, and you will recover all, confirming that they are still alive, that, there, that, there was, um, that his family was still there, that, they, that there was going to be a great victory. And so I imagine he's kind of on cloud nine. I don't know that going into any of the other battles that he's had, he's had this opportunity for the confidence of God telling him, you're already, I, you're, the end is already assured. Your victory is already assured. But as he's going, he's got 600 men with him. As he's going, they get to this brook, the brook of Basor. I should have looked. I don't know if it's a big body of water. I don't know if it's hard to cross or whatever. But a third of his army at this point is now too faint to cross the brook. A third of the army is too feeble, too faint, too weak, too scared? To, to something to cross the brook. Now, call me cynical. I don't know how big the brook is, but it doesn't seem like it. The fact that two-thirds, that a third, excuse me, that a third of these folks are not committed to going over, does this speak to them being fearful? Does it speak to them actually being too feeble? Does it, what is, I don't know what it speaks to, but one thing it does tell me is that even when the victory is assured, David wasn't getting off easy with having no, um, without there being some kind of conflict or some kind of problem 
in the process. And what it says to me is sometimes, even though God gives us the understanding of what the end of our situation is supposed to be, and even though we have a confidence of his presence and his peace, and even his victory in the end, doesn't mean that the pathway there is going to be all roses or peaches and cream or whatever you want to call it. It's not going to be all rainbows all the time. We may, we may know and have the confidence that the end is assured and perfect and that God will be with us the entire time, but it doesn't mean that along the way there's not going to be bumps and bruises. But David doesn't even be, he seems undeterred by this. He seems like this wasn't even that big a deal. He sends those, those 200 and says, okay, stay here. Stay here and guard the provisions. You'll lighten the load of those that are going to go and pursue the rest of the soldiers. It says, but David pursued, he and his 400 men, for 200 abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Basor. And they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and gave him bread and he did eat. And they made him drink water. And they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when they had eaten, his spirit came again to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drank any water three days and three nights. The compassion that they show this man, it's, it's, it's miraculous. And David said unto him, To whom belongest thou? And whence art thou? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt. I am a servant to an, to an Amalekite. And my master left me because three days ago, three days agone, I fell sick. We made an invasion upon the south of the, Ch- of the Cherethites and upon the coast which belongeth to Judah and upon the south of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. Just imagine. Just imagine. You see this. It's, it's almost as if you see this poor Samaritan man on the side of the road and David, like a good uh, Jewish boy and you know, all of his, apparently all his soldiers knew how he would want this man to be treated. They, they see this poor man and they, I mean, they identify him as an Egyptian. I don't know if they could tell just by how he was dressed or whatever to begin with, but he's about to die. He hasn't had any food or water in three days. And so they make him a cake, and they make him food, and they give him water, and they, they bring him back to good health. They, they resuscitate him. And then I just imagine David is, is in a good mood. He's, you know, he's probably a little bit nervous. Well, maybe not nervous, but his, maybe in the back of his head is that these 200 guys now have left him. But he's still got his 400, and he's on his way, and oh, we're going to show some compassion to this, uh, this downtrodden man, and the man starts to explain. He says, you know, who are you? Where'd you come from? Well, I'm an Egyptian and I, uh, you know, I work for this Amalekite guy. But he left me a couple days ago because I was sick and they just left me to die. What a rotten guy that was. Well, we had come from here and gone from there and done this and done that and somewhere else and came back in. Oh yeah, a couple days ago, we were in Ziklag and we burned that thing to a crisp. What? What reaction would we have had? What reaction would I have? David said unto him, Canst thou bring me down to this company? At this point, David knows who this man is. Knows that this man was there and was party to and included in and contributed to the burning of his house the abduction of his family, 
and realizes now that there's value in this man, though, that he can tell him where and, and lead him to where the Amalekites are. And the Amalekite man responds and says, Swear unto me by God that thou wilt neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will bring thee down to this company. And when he had brought him down, behold, there were spread upon all of the earth, this is the Amalekites were, eating and drinking and dancing because of the great spoil that had been taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. And David smote them from the twilight even unto the evening of the next day. And there escaped not a man of them, save 400 young men which rode upon camels and fled. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. And there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil, nor anything that had been taken of to them. David recovered all. And David took all the flocks and the herds which drave before those other cattle and said, This is David's spoil. It's, it's, it's just remarkable. It's miraculous. When in any other story in recorded history has there ever been an abduction and people all taken captive and not one person is lost? Not one bit of their possessions are lost? Now, I mean, yes, their, their encampment, their homes, whatever, however you want to describe that, that was all burned. But everything that was taken was recovered. Every last bit of it was recovered. And in addition to what they had taken, or what had been taken from them, they recovered everything that had been taken from everybody else. All the spoils that the Amalekites had, had stolen and had, had um, pillaged from other conquests that they had. They recovered all of this. And David says, this is David's spoil. Verse 21, And David came to the 200 men, which were so faint that they could not follow David, whom that they had made also to abide at the brook of Besor. And they went forth to meet David and to meet the people which were with him. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them. David is excited to see his one-third of his army that was, was, was still there guarding all the, the uh, provisions. Then answered all the wicked men, these would be David's soldiers, those of the 400, and the men of Belial, and of those that went with David and said, Because they went not with us, we will not give them aught of the spoil that we have recovered, save to every man his wife and his children, that they may lead them away and depart. So it's, it's almost like the older brother in the prodigal son story um, says to, to David, no, 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 no. David's about to hand over the spoils. He's about to divide this thing by 600. He's about to take the spoils and divide it all up. And the guys that are probably have some battle wounds on them, they've gone and they've you know, wiped out all the Amalekites. And they say, no, 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 no. We're not giving them of all of this spoil. We earned this. Let them have their families back. Let them have their sons and their wives, their daughters. Give, give them back their families, but then give them just enough to send them on their way. Because if they didn't have the heart and the intestinal fortitude to go with us to the other side of the brook, there's no reason that they're coming back to, uh, to stay with us. And that they should be able to partake in all that we've had victory over. Then said David, You shall not do so, my brethren. 
with that which the Lord hath given us, who hath preserved us, and hath delivered the company that came against us into our hand. For who will hearken unto you in this matter? But as his part, but as his part is that goeth down to the battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the stuff. They shall part alike. And it was so from that day forward that he made a statute and an ordinance for Israel unto this day. So, I find it so interesting. When, when these 200 stay behind, David doesn't mention, it, it, he doesn't mention why, he it, it, it's recorded that they stayed behind because they were faint. That they couldn't go over the brook. But in retrospect, when David's looking back at the situation and he's having to confront these, um, it says these wicked men, the men of Belial, when he's confronting these kind of cocky soldiers, he says, listen, those that stayed behind, they watched over the provisions. They cared for all of the, um, the supplies while we went off to war. And in the end, whose job is it? Who are you to say one is more important than the other? I, I marvel at that, that David saw value, that, that he communicated to these men that there was equal value in those that stayed back and did the small things as to those that went and did the painful things, did the hard things. And I mean, being the cynic that I am, I, I can't help but think he was, he, I was like, was he making it up in the end? Was he making it up on the fly to, to try to appease them and, and ease the wounds? Regardless of, why, regardless of when he came to the confidence of that position, what it also says to me is in our day and age and in our lives today, how many times do we minimize those, those jobs or those responsibilities of those folks that are, are in the background? Sometimes we even phrase it as, the, well, they're not, they're not tough enough, they're not strong enough, they're not um, capable enough to go to war with us whatever the proverbial going to war is. You know, there's a lot of folks that got a lot of credit for doing a lot of amazing things at camp this week. I mean, some of the brothers that, not some of, I will say, all of the brothers that, that shared messages, I was blown away by. I mean, it got to the point where I kept trying to find the, one of the brothers and, and really thank him for the message that he had um, because he, he had one line that has stuck with me all, all week, um, well, I guess I can give him the Brother Irwin's sermon that he had when he, he talked about um, kind of encur- encouraging slash positively admonishing, I can say, with ministering brothers and teaching brothers and elder brothers. And he said, you know what? We have got to cut clean. When we're dividing the word, we have got to cut it clean right down the middle. And then the description he gave was, he's like, sometimes we've got to move back to that center line. If, if my disposition or my, pre, if my predisposition is to be a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right, he's like, God's got to move me back to the middle so that I can cut that clean. And that, that image just, it, it really struck me all week. And you know, to the end of the week, I finally got caught up with him and, and could talk to him about that. But he said, well, so many people had come up to him and thanked him for that service. You know, to God be the glory, but so many had people had come up and thanked him. You know who I didn't go up and thank this week? The audio staff. That at 2 o'clock in the morning, probably, Saturday morning, were still disassembling wires and cords. And the fact that any of us, you know, yesterday I was listening to some of the 
repeats of, of camp. And even Friday night, I was watching the videos of the uh, confession. I was watching the video of the, of the choir. I, was, I directed the choir, but wasn't even paying attention enough to appreciate it. So I wanted to appreciate it before I went to bed. And you know what? The brothers that sat in that freezing video room with hats and scarves on because it was so cold in there, no joke, hats, not maybe not a scarf, but I know Jeremy went and bought a, a sweater during the week because it was so cold in there. I don't know if anybody went up and thanked them. He's never going to hear it, so I'll say it here. Jim Legal drives around on a golf, court, a golf cart all night, the last night of camp, picking up all of the boxes of all the supplies of all the things that got to be packaged up and taken to a storage container and put away and then comes to camp three days early to do all of that distribution all over the place. And, and certainly, we thank Sister Elsa for all the work that she's done over all the years, and we should. But she's not the only person that's doing all those things. There's so many other people that do all of those other thankless tasks. And I flippantly sometimes say, I could never do that. Thank the Lord I don't have to do that. I can't stay up that late. Uncle Dan used to do it and then clang the cymbals to close camp officially that all of the audio stuff had been put away. All of those people doing all of those things, do we ever look at that as those, well, they didn't cross, they stayed behind, they didn't cross over the banks of the river, the brook. But all of those things have to happen so that the victory could be assured. If we look at it that way, did David have the appreciation or the perspective already at that point to say that, you know what, God already guaranteed the victory here. I don't need, how many ever can make it across the brook, brook are what God needs to give us the victory. But if these folks don't stay back behind here and protect the stuff, protect the provisions, who's to say the same thing doesn't happen that happened the last time? When they went off to beat the Philistines, all of a sudden their families got stolen and the place got burned down. Maybe this was the way of protecting what they still had left. And God knew that and saw value and saw, um, saw, saw the purpose in each one of those jobs, in each one of those positions. And even when folks got fired up after the fact, and these, these I, I can't believe it, I, I mean, we'd have to trust it, but he calls them wicked men of Belial. They just had this victory. They had done God's will and slaughtered the Amalekites. And yet because of their perspective, because of their attitude, because of the way that they looked at the situation, they were deemed wicked. And David had to say, no, no, no. There's nobody special here. We're all being parted out as, we have been, as it has been received because all of our contributions were equal in God's eyes and were, ne were necessary for the assured victory. So, does God give us the same answer every time? You know, I, I marveled that David, his reaction wasn't to just jump in and, and get, and to take action immediately. If you flip forward just a few pages, David becomes king. We'll fast forward through a whole bunch of things. David becomes king and the Philistines are pursuing again. It says, and the Philistines came up yet again and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. This is in 2 Samuel, 5, uh, 2 Samuel 5. And when David inquired of the Lord, so it's become a pattern in his life now, committing his way unto the Lord, 
This was the pattern of David's life. It was to ask the question, God, what do you want me to do? The expectation could have been, well, I'm going to ask God, but I already know what he's going to say. It's almost like saying, to, all right, God, the Philistines are coming. I'm going to stand here. I'm sharpening my sword, getting everything ready, buckling up my, my breastplate and all this. Okay, God, ready? Let, I'm going to inquire of you, but I know. Can you just rubber stamp what I've got planned? I'm about, you know, one foot out the door. The, that's not a chariot. I was going to say the chariot's running, but... In our case, the car's already running. I'm already to go. I've got the plan. I know what I'm going to do. I've already talked with my generals. I know I'm going to, how I'm going to organize everybody. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, Thou shalt not go up, but fetch a compass behind them and come upon them over against the mulberry trees. And let it be, when thou hearest the sound of a going in the tops of the mulberry trees, that then thou shalt bestir thyself for then shall the Lord go down, excuse me, before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. And David did so as the Lord had commanded him and smote the Philistines from Geba unto thou come to Gezor. Or Gezer. It wasn't the same answer that time. God said no. God said stop. I have something else planned. Go over here and watch. Go over here and delay and come back another time. But it, it was the key being that David, knowing how capable he was, knowing that he could put the plan together, knowing that in the past God had ordered it and given him the given him the confidence of assured victory even before, that in that moment he still was obedient. He still recognized that no matter how capable he thought he was, no matter how assured he thought the victory was to be, he still relied on the direction of the Lord at every moment. And as we were talking about this in our class, and we go back to that, ver that chapter, excuse me, Psalm 37. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in, in him, and he shall bring it to pass. You know, the, the conversation that happened so many times in our, in our class and in lots of other discussions throughout the week was, you know, how many times how many times do we profess that we are committing our way to the Lord, that we're committing our lives to the Lord and all of the decisions in it, but we're looking at it for more of a rubber stamp. I want God to bless this thing that I've put together. I want God to, to bless this nest egg that I have accumulated and, and, and set aside and... Sometimes I won't even bring it to him until I think it's been prepared enough for him to bless. But what we really were, were taught and were encouraged and, and probably more so admonished or needed to be admonished by the Lord this week was that's not, that's not the intent of our walk as a believer. The first night of camp, a brother got up and talked about how he had committed his life to the Lord in his teen years. And then went and built a, a great career. Had kids. Got married, had kids, built a great career, was incredibly successful. And then his wife got sick. And he wasn't able to, wasn't able to do all the things in his career that he, he kind of expected anymore and he was needing to care for her. And, and the Lord had to show him that he had committed his life to the Lord at a young age, but his life was not 
fully committed to the Lord. That he had built up this, this lifestyle, this, this nest egg, this, um, this success, but it wasn't where the Lord wanted it to be. And that he needed to be redirected. He needed to have his focus redirected. And as a fairly young man, gave up all that success in business and committed himself to the missions. Committed himself to, to serve and to support and to encourage our, our mission field. And you know what? God blessed that. God blessed that and his wife got better. But he's, he, he was honest, and I appreciate I've had the conversation a couple of times with him. He, he was honest to share that there's consequences of that. Uh, there were consequences and there were scars and there was pain that, was, that had to go, that, that was a product of, let me call it, misdirected priorities. And God was gracious, thank God, that he, he, he um, reminded him and, and corralled him and brought him back around where, where all of the success and the, the attributes of the success that he had had could now be focused in, in kingdom work. And the encouragement for all of us, you know, maybe some of the younger fathers and mothers and, and families, was to make sure that our focus make sure that we are continuing to come back to the Lord and asking Him, inquiring of the Lord, is this step that I'm taking really your will? Am I committed to your will, Lord? Am I committed to your way? Or make sure that I'm not just trying to get you to rubber stamp the way that I've already prepared. And so, as a takeaway for for me and for our family as we we leave camp, um, to, to slow down, to slow down and to, to check the way that we are walking. The, the, the imagery that David put on the banner was really powerful to me. I thought that this was a, I thought this was a CGI thing that he had put together because he's pretty creative and he can make banners. He can make a, a photo out of any kind of thing. But the photo that he used this year is an actual place. There's an actual place in Madagascar where there's um, just sharp, jagged uh, rock formations and there's a, 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 a culvert, not a culvert, but a, a chasm. And there's this one very narrow, very rickety-looking bridge that crosses over that chasm to, from one desolate place to another desolate place. And, it, and the imagery that I, I, I was struck by was committing our path to the Lord. We don't know exactly where it goes. And what we see on the other side may not be super attractive. It's beautiful in the sense that it's like beautiful desolation, right? Like the moon is a beautiful place, but eh, nobody really want to move there. It's a beautiful desolation. It's a, it looks scary out in front of you. But if our way is committed to the Lord, if, we have, if we've surrendered all control of our lives to Him, I may not, it may not look comfortable. I may not have a true appreciation for everything that's coming before. And it, it, there may be some fear in there. There may be um, some trepidation. But knowing that the Lord has ordered my steps, knowing that he has plotted the path before me, I should be, able, should be able to delight, to trust, to rest in him. Because, like the verse says, we've committed our way unto the Lord, trusted in him, and know that he shall bring it, being all of his promises, to pass. May the Lord bless uh, a few words.